Hey, you're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Cram. Today, we're wagging tongues with Alex and Eric, co-founders of Magellan Security. We'll be talking about how to mitigate the threat of insider attacks in crypto projects, what risks are associated with port usage, and the importance of cloud security. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope words. Uh, everyone, hope you had good conversations. I have the window open here in Chicago, which is just such a nice change of pace. But for those of you who don't know what's going on, here's what is on tap for Diffuse Tap. This is a weekly event. This is the 150th time we've done it. We're going to ever so briefly talk about the Diffuse Tap event. Thank you, Andy and Claudia, for the hoorah, whatever, the, the joy that I could feel through the screen there. Uh, this is, uh, we're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. And then we're going to do a fireside chat with uh, Eric and Alex. Although I'm not sure that I've actually seen Alex show up. So it might just be Eric. And then we're yeah, going to do two yeah, more. Unfortunately, yeah. Alex, Alex came down with COVID. So um, I'm I'm tapping in for him today. All right. So it is just Eric. Uh, not just Eric, because it's probably better anyways, right? Um, and then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just did. We'll give you a topic, um, give you a chance to network with folks, because again, this is mostly networking. 45 minutes of every hour is meeting people in small groups of four or five. Pretty much everybody here is an alternative investor of one form or another, um, particularly heavy on the crypto side of the house, which is doing you know decent. We're kind of going back in the right direction, which is nice. We do want you to learn a little bit, which is why we have the insights portion for 15 minutes with Eric today. And if you like this networking thing, April 19th in San Diego, hosted by Mr. Robert Mowry. Um, there is an in-person version of this with more networking, drinks, all that stuff. It's pretty informal, but it's always a good time. So if you want to, if you're in San Diego area, come check it out. Diffuse, uh, the company, uh, me and I are the co-founders, and we spin up kind of funds that are kind of interesting or differentiated in some way, shape, or form. A lot of our effort right now is on our Diffuse Digital 30 fund, which is an index fund tracking an index of the top 30 cryptocurrencies, market cap weighted, all that stuff. And we're at the very tail end, really get their act together, of listing it here in the US, which should make it quite a bit of a different shape find. So if you're interested in learning about that, let us know. But enough about us, Mr. Freeman. As you're right, flying solo, let's just here, I'll do that so you can't see him. There you go, perfect. But please tell us a little bit about your background and what you're up to over at Magellan Security. Awesome. Um, pleasure to meet everybody here. Hope everyone is enjoying spring as it as it springs itself out or sprunging itself out. Um, I, uh, I'm, my name is Eric Freeman. I'm based in a small place called New York City. Um, and I've been working in security for probably around a decade and, and more so in crypto, blockchain, Web3, di distributed ledger technology, whatever you want to call it, for about six to eight years now. Um, and I got into the space because early on in my career, I was what's referred to as an incident responder, where my company would be called after we got breached, not Magellan, but the consultancy I was working at the time. Um, and it was very early on during the ICO boom. Um, and many companies that were raising funds were getting their marketing pages hacked with default credentials and having the wild addresses changed. Um, and so we would come in and help do forensic analysis. And at that time, I saw that this space was not only both quickly growing, 
but didn't have a lot of controls, a lot of process, or really many ideas of how to think about security. Um, it was very early on in smart contract days, so we didn't have layer twos, layer threes, or anything that we have today. And what I've seen is throughout my career, one, a lot of companies focus on what they think is Web3 security, which really comes down to like custody, private key, um, private key infrastructure hardening, as well as uh, really just maintaining your assets the right way. But there's a lot more to it than that. And I think if you were to really deep dive based on you know what I've seen at BlockFi, where I worked previously in BlockDaemon, um, most of these companies don't think about the basics and Web2 security. And the reality is the weakest point of any company um, is their staff. It's insider threat, and it's what the risk can, can pose through your own team members and your own staff by not having the right processes, controls, and kind of risk modeling in place. Um, and so I'm here today kind of not only just to help, you know, guide some conversations around security and the ways you guys should be thinking about it, but ideally help people that know serve as a resource and an expert in, in what we should be doing to not only better educate our customers, but also our teams around us. At Magellan, we really focus with on helping scale and, and harden fintech companies, startups, and, and Web3 companies. We work with various funds, apps, um, decentralized apps, and making sure they're doing the right things as we kind of enter this space that's rapidly changing day to day. Beautiful. Maybe we can dig into the weakest link. What is the weakest link in crypto security? I'm sure the, the humans is one, maybe the infrastructure is another. We can run through some of these bits. Yeah, it's a great question. I, the weakest link is always the staff. Um, and, then, and then it's really how the staff accesses their information. With a lot of these companies, we're now working at, we're looking at a remote world. Um, and it's not just in the perspective of your company based in the US that has staff all over the place. But with a lot of these blockchains and the code that's being written, we're talking about people who are contributing to open source in this gig economy all over the world. Um, you know, most of these projects have people based in in Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, um, North Africa, South America. It's really decentralized, and so ensuring that the person is indeed who they say they are is critical. One of the biggest things that we've seen, you know, through my my network of the intelligence community, as well as what I see on a day to day. A lot of um, networks, blockchains, ecosystems are getting targeted by having someone that they think they're bringing on as a developer, but indeed is really a nation state threat actor from either North Korea or China building you know, malicious code within these projects to be able to have something that they can execute from a vulnerabilities perspective. So to answer Ayla's question directly, it's really insider threat and, and insider risk, which is how do you know the person is who they say they are, especially in this you know, pseudo-anonymous world that we're in that really prioritizes itself on privacy? And also how do you ensure that the code that you're integrating with, the blockchain you're integrating with, and really the apps you're integrating with are what they say they are, um, which comes down to the infrastructure side, which is how are you scaling your infrastructure and integrating with these blockchains in a secure manner? That's great. And actually, it's funny because uh, you see all these stories about people that are getting 10 developer jobs doing no work, right? And then they just, you know, take a salary for six weeks and then get fired. It just shows how easy it is to get a job. So I got to imagine nation state looking to be malicious. It's not going to be that hard to get in the door. So that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Another area, and this may be more traditional Web2 type security, cloud security. Um, and kind of the wallet management or a distributed organization. And what what do people need to think about there? What are your what are your general thoughts on the gotchas there? That's an excellent question. So I, I think the one thing I want to call out here is with the fall of X, FTX and the administration kind of pushing in a very specific direction, 
what we're going to start to see, not just in the U.S., but also in uh, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Europe, is kind of two real frameworks. And I'll bring this up because it's kind of important to explain how this pertains to cloud security, which is you're going to have heavily regulated entities that want to follow by the rules and operate specific to what regulation is going to be, which is going to involve things like custody. It's going to involve having MTL licenses and ensuring you're doing KYC AML. You're doing the right things that you would see of a traditional bank. And then there's going to be the unregulated exchanges, which are going to be the DEXs, which are completely decentralized and, and segmented. When it comes to cloud infrastructure, the way that these two types of entities manage it is completely separate. Um, most exchanges and DEXs operate with a foundation at the top level that manage the infrastructure, manage the tools. Um, I can give you two examples, OP Labs, which maintains Optimism, which is a layer two on Ethereum, um, Filecoin, which is part of Protocol Labs. They maintain the Filecoin ecosystem. These are entities that are based in the US and have staff, but they manage the infrastructure for the blockchain that's decentralized. When it comes to centralized exchanges, it's a company that manages it and, and manages the resources. When it comes to cloud infrastructure, no matter what, you're still relying on AWS, GCP, Azure, their metal providers to stand up these nodes to build this, this application that you integrate and, and, and interact with for doing trades. So when it comes to cloud infrastructure, the most important thing you have to first think about is one, who's accessing your cloud infrastructure. Um, you may be administering permissions to a, a developer, an SRE, a technical resource, but the reality is that's still the foundation of the network. Just because it's decentralized doesn't mean that a large entity isn't still maintaining the backbone of it. Yes, they rely on people to stand up nodes. They rely on other uh, infrastructure companies to help build nodes to support that, that blockchain or that company. But the reality is it's still somewhat centralized at the root of it. When it comes to cloud security, the next component is the trading engine and the wallet management. Um, I've heard somebody mention already today that they use Fireblocks. Um, something to mention, because I've worked at a company that had Fireblocks as a back engine. Fireblocks doesn't create backups of their customer images that's on you. So that's like something to think about is where are you storing your backups in the cloud? How are you managing it? Most of these wallets are built within cloud service providers, whether it's using something that's referred to as like computational secure compute resources that are hyper, hyper locked down, but you're still using code and automation to be able to gather these private keys. So when it comes to security, it comes down to what is the best way to create an M of N or a certain amount of sh a certain amount of shards that you delegate that need to come together to be able to create the private key in a way at your company so that you never have risk to your wallets. And so most of the time, these people are deploying their wallet infrastructure in the cloud. And I brought up the regulatory issue up front because we're going to start to see over time that this is going to change and how it's managed because you're going to have to meet requirements of what the government's going to say when it comes to custody. And that's super important because it directly impacts customer funds, which is going to be a key, key component of how you scale either your decentralized exchange, your centralized exchange, your trading engine, and your trading algorithm. And the cloud is where all of this is deployed. I think no matter what, people get lost in this concept of decentralization, when no matter what, you're still relying on Web2 technology to be able to build your platform, scale your platform, and get your application and code out there. Superb. Wow, that was quite the, quite the essay. I like it. It's going to make for a great transcript. Um, maybe we'll dig a little bit into, because he has some questions around kind of hardware wallets and securing yourself with a hardware wallet. Is that enough? Is that not enough? Et cetera. And yeah. We touched a little bit on that, but maybe digging into detail, because I think some of the folks here 
I think they might be believers that the hard-earned wallet is a really safe place to put your assets. So, so it's super interesting. Um, I'm a huge proponent of hardware wallets. I have five different ones in my house um, that I use on a daily basis. I think more factors of authentication, the better, but I think it depends on the use case. And I say that because a hardware wallet for an exchange is not going to work, meaning they have to have warm funds that are ready to be withdrawn for their customers at any point in time. So that's where something like Fireblocks or um, Avalanche, I mean, Anchorage, apologies, something that's a little more institutionalized that has a warm solution is what's going to help scale with that. As it pertains to your private funds, it's super important to not only have your wallet, but make sure you're using browser plugins to help check what you're engaging with. And I say this because when it comes to like using and integrating with DEXs or any type of uh, bridge, you need to be able to make sure that that bridge is indeed what it says it is. So there's great applications like WalletGuard and Revoke Cash um, and other third-party plugins that are used to be able to check the calls that are being made. Meaning the wallet is great, but you're still granting access to that wallet when you're making trades on de- decentralized exchanges and granting authentication capabilities and privileges to the application. And so what I've seen in certain circumstances is people may have a hardware wallet that's lo- like live and ready to go, but the reality is they have an app within MetaMask that is integrated. And what happens is that application is indeed vulnerable or gets breached and the attacker is able to access the funds because the wallet's live. So it's a component. It's not the entire story, though. So I think it's super important to have a hardware wallet. Again, I, I said I have a bunch. Um, and segmenting your funds in a way to limit the amount of risk you're willing to you know, take on based on what your portfolio looks like. So I divide an even amount amongst all of my wallets. Um, I also use a great wallet that I love called Arculus. Um, it's a it's a 3FA wallet that isn't necessarily as easy to integrate with MetaMask or, or Trust Wallet, but what it does do is it gives you a, a mandatory way of having three steps of uh, authentication to be able to access your funds. So in short, I think a wallet's super important. I think a hardware wallet's critical um, and implementing the max amount of MFA and friction. Um, but when it comes to standing this up for an organization, it's not necessarily what I would recommend. It's great for a retail user and individual. It's not great for companies. I think when it comes to cold storage, there's a better conversation to have around it. Meaning if you're going to back up funds in another place for a company, that's good. But sharding the keys, meaning taking what the seed phrase is, encrypting it, breaking that up, dividing it amongst a company where people don't know what they're doing to avoid collusion. Um, and they don't know who necessarily has it to bring them together. Those are things to think about when it comes to backup funds. That's really interesting. And we'll, we'll kind of go further because obviously hardware wallet, the big risk there is you just lose it, right? So where do you see the industry going? And I'll pick up Winkler's question here, which is, do you see in a future state where there's like a custodial layer where kind of all of the individuals who are managing the private keys, there's a layer that sits on top of it, manages it in a way that people are actually safe and secure and institutionalizes it? Or is that just kind of a more of a pipe dream? So I'm going to divide this question again back to the kind of which way are we moving towards a regulated entity or a non-regulated entity? And I say that because non-regulated entities are big on self-custody. It's kind of the the ethos and the driving force behind this ecosystem. And so, you know, I'm I'm talking with one uh, potential customer right now that's trying to build the Amex of crypto as they claim, but on the back end, they're trying to build this on this concept of self-custody. So as it pertains to B2C, it's largely going to be self-custody. When I think it comes to dealing with larger institutions, so your BNY Mellons, your Bank of America's, your larger banks, 
they are much, they're going to be much more reliant on not having self-custody because that's how they've built a lot of their foundation of their the the economy and, and their banking operations. And so I think it's going to come down to one of two things. Do you want to be operating in a regulated way? Because I think there's a lot of risk that's associated with the consumer in, in the West. Um, and with those regulated entities, I think it's going to be largely traditional custody as we know it. And when it comes to unregulated and more B2C tradition, non-traditional users, it's going to be largely self-custody. That's that's what we've seen and that's how things are being implemented. Um, I've I've had to audit a lot of these different custodial providers, whether it's Fireblocks, BitGo, Zappo, um, four other companies that have gone and come. And the ones they're working with is large institutions. And the reason why is because they are qualified custodians that need to be able to maintain their assets on behalf of customers. And so it really comes down to the regulatory component of this, if you ask me. Fascinating. Oh, there's a lot of scope there. Amex of crypto. Could you dig into that analogy a little bit? <laughs> yeah, well, so that's specific to a product that they're coming out with. That's what they claim to me is that they're building a really easy, accessible, somewhat rewards-based um, self-custody wallet that allows you to get points by every time you do a transaction, they do a percentage of that that comes back in a reward of some type of token. I don't have all the details of that, but it was it was more so specific to this company that I'm talking to and their, their philosophy around self-custody. Gotcha. All right. Makes sense. Um, another question here from uh, George. Interns. Uh, so obviously, are you working with insurance providers? Like how does, what is the interplay there? Because, you know, cybersecurity is a big deal. I'm assuming if you're, you know, up to some standards, you can get insurance. Like what does the state of Insurance is a really, so when I worked at a company a while ago, we were deeply connected with the insurance companies because we were incident response based, meaning most of our leads would come from Aon, um, Towers and Watkins, uh, uh, all of the the, the big ones. Um, and I'm blanking on half of them right now. Chubb, Beasley, sorry. Um, and, and cybersecurity insurance is really interesting because historically speaking, it really only covered ransomware, breach response, forensic analysis, and PR. Um, response. And a lot of these insurance providers are now starting to scale back. What I've seen is you can typically get a policy or a reinsurance policy specific to like a control or operating environment. Um, meaning in, in a company that I used to work at, um, one of the things they were able to do is get insurance for really slashing for staking of nodes. And so the biggest thing they were focused on is ensuring that if a customer were to get slashed, meaning if their node was to get penalized for, for either double signing or doing something malicious, they would be able to cover whatever funds were lost um, from that event with it. So there's not a clear path forward is what I'm really trying to say is what I've seen. And that's because they don't know how to necessarily monetize it. I think you're seeing insurance for custodial providers of up to X amount of funds based on what they have as assets under management. But that's still going to continue to change because Gemini and Coinbase, I think, are the only really two ones that have implemented it. And I sooner see FDIC insurance for centralized and, and um, regulated exchanges becoming something something more realistic than like a very, very clear set of insurance because these insurance companies are losing a ton of money on selling these policies, especially around ransomware. Um, I think like two of the five providers I mentioned earlier, they have already, in fact, I think got rid of their ransomware policies because they were just losing a ton of money on it. So I bring this up because there's not real clear path forward yet. And I think we're still waiting to see how the government shakes this out when it comes to regulated versus non-regulated. Um, and that I think will dictate what we'll see around FDIC insurance for exchanges. And I, I think for those exchanges, they're going to largely cap like 
classify most things as a security with the exception of Bitcoin. I do think the letter of law is going to be very clear in calling Ethereum a security, um, which is going to be a very interesting play. But when it comes to insurance, um, I haven't necessarily seen a great policy myself, and I still think it, there's there's wiggle room. I've seen a lot of people work with reinsurance providers. Like three of my old customers um, worked with like Swiss and Munich reinsurance to be able to get a better policy for what they wanted for assets under management and funds under management. That's great. Eric, this has been super informative, but you know, we never have enough time to talk. Um, so we're going to do breakout rooms, but first we're going to mix it up, you know, 150th episode. So we're going to do a quick quiz. Um, if you, whoever answers it first in the telegram group, get some diffuse swag. So question is, uh, before we go to breakout room, what is a 51% attack and how does it pose a threat to the security of blockchain networks? And next time we will get it to the side. So I don't have to put this. Um, so those are the options. Type of cryptocurrency that involves stealing 51% of cryptocurrency total, total supply, coordinated effort by hackers to control the majority of the compute power, social engineering tactic that exposes human vulnerabilities, and a type of phishing attack that targets blockchain development. Check your answer in the Telegram group. The link is there. Join away. But we're going to get to the networking section now. So here's a couple of housekeeping items. One, uh, networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that and each other. And we do not do a full participant list for privacy reasons. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap details then and there, or join a Telegram group. It's great for making network and connecting. All that. That's why we're here. Uh, but with that, Isla, do you have a topic for? Yeah. What kind of security threats have you personally faced? Kenny and I have seen our own share of them. Yeah. They're not insider threats. They're definitely external. But did this is the opportunity to share some war stories of stuff trying to fish you and other exciting things uh, that you might have been exposed to in your crypto days? And pop you into rooms now, and we will see you back here in about 10 minutes. All right, all right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Y'all are in the big room. So if you could stay muted, it does help a little bit with the background chatter. But Eric, I know you were we you got cut off in that last breakout room. So rapid fire context switches. Tell us the future, sir. Uh, unmute it and tell us the future. What are you excited by? What's coming down the pipe? And you get extra nonsensical points for things the audience hasn't heard. Got it. Um, we could talk about MPC. I feel like that that's a cool thing that's becoming more and more uh, used, which is essentially a way of securing private keys for a wallet in a in a tech stack way that allows it to have no one single point of failure. Um, Frankly, what I'm really I'm really impressed by is there's a lot of new infrastructure components coming out, which is something called Lava Network. I'll, I'll actually ping it in the chat. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but one of the things I mentioned earlier is kind of decentralization and versus centralization. A lot of these platforms are being built on um, on on AWS and relying on kind of you have to get your data from standing up a node or going to a service provider. And so what we're starting to see now is there are companies and and decentralized protocols coming out with a capability of being able to access multiple blockchains from one integration to grab whatever data you need. And why this is super important is because it's the next layer of decentralization for anybody to be able to host a node, stand up a node, stake a node, whatever it may be from one starting point, which is a big, big change because in every other instance, you've had to stand up a node to support a protocol and rely on that. This is further validating the, the Web3 essence of what we've been looking at, which is how do I get one RPC? How do I get an RPC node 
that accesses every single blockchain. And so what we're starting to see is people bridging and coming together on how they integrate with other platforms. And so data is going to become a lot more accessible. Um, that's something I'm super interested in. I think it's going to be really, really big for the space. Um, I think as it pertains to the custodial, the, the, the government environment and the regulatory environment in the West right now is becoming more clear. Not that I think it's going to necessarily be the thing that I completely agree with, but clarity is important and more important than no clarity at all. And I think that's going to be a big component. If I had to guess, um, I think Southeast Asia and UAE is going to come out as kind of the, the place to be decentralized and be in crypto. Um, that's a big trend I'm seeing. I also think there's a lot, I don't want to necessarily go into um, the, uh, one thing I'm really big on is the technology of the space. And what do I mean by that is I don't mean necessarily the casino component of I'm going in to get rich really quickly. Um, I'm talking about there's like legitimate use cases uh, for people to use technology here. So something I loved back in the day was Helium, which was a decentralized IoT network that you can also use for cell service, which has its own problems. But another project that I've come across recently is a decentralized VPN, which is a really, really cool way of you being able to kind of route your traffic through a super private network. I'll drop that protocol in here. It's called NIM, NYM. It's a really, really cool project that allows people to kind of decentralize even more so and use a VPN to maintain privacy. Um, as a security person, privacy is something I'm a really a big believer in. In fact, when I first started mining, I was mining Monero, not because I was buying or selling drugs, but because I thought this was a really cool way of kind of obfuscating who you are and hiding it. And so some of the like legitimate, like use, usable protocols and technologies are becoming super interesting. And I think this decentralized VPN is a cool one. So if you guys like ask me, I like, look, I'm, I got in this space initially because I saw cool technology being able to be democratized. Um, and I'm a, I'm a really, really big believer in the fact that people shouldn't just be in this space to get rich really quickly, because if you do, you're going to miss out on a lot of really cool opportunities to see cool projects. And so of where I see the puck going, um, more decentralized usable products that aren't just something that that is a speculative currency. I love it. Um, and, you know, one of the things we say around here a lot, or I say around here a lot is for a long time, uh, especially through 2020, if you put blockchain in the company name, like that, that's that that is the business plan, but that's a technology implementation, like finding those actual use cases as a business. And then blockchain, again, is just how you happen to do the technical implementation because it's the best solution. That's the way to do it. Blockchain is bound slide six. Not I want to. I want to piggyback off of that real quick with another comment. I think. Look, we we saw what happened, and the regulatory. Uh, I think the investment environment is going to change drastically, and more traditional VCs are going to be doing a lot more due diligence on what is this other than a token. What is your platform other than like, what is legitimate use of it? And do you have an audience that's going to leverage this platform? And so I think people need to start thinking about larger adoption. I think Audius is a really cool protocol. Renders a really cool protocol because these have tangible use cases behind it that allow companies to save money, but also scale their, scale their operations. I'll drop those two projects in here too, for people who aren't familiar with them. That's great. Appreciate it. Oh, I forgot about my diffuse tab slide up. Uh, well, either way, Isla, do you want to give folks a topic for the next breakout room? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a lot about kind of hardware and hardware security. Is that something that people believe in? Uh, or do you want it managed by somebody else externally? Does that feel a bit safer? Do you want to get insurance for it instead? What are kind of your own strategies or maybe your business's strategies for dealing with some of these uh, risks that are on hand? Uh, I'll pop you into rooms now and we will see you back just before the full hour.
Rock and roll. Welcome back. We're going to do a quick couple of wrap up items and get you out of here right on at the top of the hour. Assuming I can find the slide. So weekly event, as I said before, next week, we're talking trade finance on the blockchain. So uh, come check it out. It's very much more financial products. Um, so it has more, more your speed. Diffuse tap in person, April 19th in San Diego, hosted by Robert Mowry. Check it out if you're in that neck of the woods. And then obviously do check out the Telegram group. Um, it's great for making connections. But Mr. Eric Freeman, do you want to plug your pluggables? Yeah. Um, so I think first and foremost, if anyone has any questions on security, needs help, needs needs any type of advice, don't hesitate reaching out to me. I'm going to put my email in here. Um, Eric at Magellan Sec. We really just want to help not only advise companies, but also be hands on the keyboard to help you guys really scale. Um, we do everything from infrastructure as code to corporate security to pen testing. Um, you name it. We've worked with companies from zero up to like 5,000 people. So we, we work at all different sizes. And I think more importantly, I'm a big believer in just doing the right thing in karma. If anyone just has any questions or just needs anything that's tech related, don't hesitate pinging me. I'm 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 relatively a big uh, a big kind guy, and I just want to make sure that everybody has all the resources they have, and we're in a space that is highly highly ambiguous and filled with jargon and constantly changing. And so, if there's something that I don't know about, I'm more than happy to at least network you guys to the right person that I think may have that information. Amazing! You'll fit in right around, or you'll fit right in around here. Appreciate your time and your wisdom here today. Ayla, were there any talking points I missed? No. That's it. Thanks so much, everybody, for showing up. And uh, we can't wait to see you next week. Indeed you do. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. And actually, thanks. thanks to you, Eric. Bye. See you in uh, six days and 23 hours. <laughs> Math. Yep. Cheers, boy. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.